What a beautiful but really simple song. Chris Tomlin's Good, Good Father. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's not what you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's not what he's done. It's who we are. We are loved. And it's just like Al said earlier. It's not how we did something, but, but why we do things. And so these words are not just important words, but they help us understand the true message of, of what we do and why, who we are and who he is. This morning's message, Grace for the Moment, I'm going to start with a quote. It says, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. Now, I've heard this a hundred different times, and I tried to go in this week and find where that came from. Family Circus. It was in Family Circus. You remember those? Those were great. My grandmother always had those magnets on the refrigerator, the little family circus. One little cell with, with great wisdom. Apparently, Winnie the Pooh said it, and apparently, Kung Fu Panda said it. I don't know who created it, but there's truth in that. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Is it a scriptural quote? No. No. But is it a biblical concept? It absolutely is. From the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this verse encourages us to let go of our past failures, sins and regrets, and focus on moving toward or forward in in our faith journey. And while the specific phrase isn't found in the Bible, the message of, of not dwelling on the past and striving for progress is definitely a recurring theme in its teachings because yesterday is history. We have a lot to learn from history, but yesterday is history. And from Jesus' teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, this is found in Matthew 6, 34, it says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus teaches us that our worries about the future can often rob us of the joy and grace available to us in the here and now. And when we fixate on the unknown, we miss the opportunity to experience the grace God has for us today. Tomorrow is a mystery. But it's the psalmist who proclaims in Psalm 118.24, he says, This is the day the Lord has made. We know how this goes, right? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This verse reminds us that each day is a creation of the Lord, and we should rejoice and be grateful for it. And the sentiment that every day is a precious gift from God is a common theme throughout the Bible. The Bible teaches the importance of living in the present moment, trusting God's provision for each day. And if you're like me, you can get caught up in the moments that we can't change or control, and we allow ourselves to be robbed of the abundant life along the way because we're worried about that or, or regretting or fixating on that. This is the inspiration for this morning's message topic. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10 says, these are the Apostle Paul words. He says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. These are the words of Apostle Paul as he recorded in his first letters to the church at Corinth. And you have to remember, right, an apostle is one who goes to speak the word. I mean, we are called to be apostles. If you're going and share the good news, 
You are apostatizing, right? You, you are an apostle. And he says, I, I'm the least of these guys. I don't deserve to even have that title because of what I used to do, of who I used to be. That's what he says. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you think about it this way. I don't feel as good as, or as important as, or as worthy as, right, another person. Or because I did this, or I think this, or I thought that. And the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. It uses these passages and expresses Paul's sentiment in a different way. It says, it was fitting that I bring up the rear. So that's a big paraphrase, right? Paul says, it's fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle. As you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stomp churches, God's church right out of existence. So again, very loose English here used to say, I don't, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel a part of that, even though that's what I'm doing because of what I've done. How do these words sit with you? Have you ever felt like you were on the outer circle of God's love or grace because of what you have done or didn't do or what you're doing or, or might do? I hope not, but it's likely you have. I certainly have. We all have, I think. And this morning's message is going to dive into God's word to find his genuine response to us in these moments of, of self-deprecation. The concept of grace is a timeless and profound aspect of our faith. And, and we need to find grace for the present moment, both in the divine sense of God's grace to us and in the personal sense of our own grace. And this is a message of good news as we find profound comfort, strength, and direction in the word of God. We start again with the words of uh, the apostle Paul, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Now, the concept of grace lies at the heart of our Christian faith. It is through grace that we find salvation. It is a gift that we receive through our faith in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that our salvation is not achieved through our own efforts or merits. And this is not the result of our works, accomplishments, or, or adherence to the rules, right? This is the Old Testament teaching. These are the rules you must follow. Instead, it is a gift from God, freely given out of his immeasurable love and mercy. And this is not to say that our works don't matter. Like we saw what we did yesterday, it matters. It makes a difference. We are called to do works. It's just that they aren't the basis for God's love. He doesn't love you because you volunteered 12 to 14 hours in the heat yesterday. He didn't love you because, you know, you did this or that or put this much money in the plate. That's not why he loves you. Now, may he be extremely pleased in how you did that. But that is not why he loves you. That is not why he forgives you. Okay? It's not the basis for that. And it's not the basis for your salvation. This truth challenges human tendency to earn favor and recognition. In, in Roman culture, you know, people were looked at by how much they did for another person. It was like, look at me. Look what I gave. And I think this is why Paul wrote the letters that said things like, give in silence. Pray in silence. Don't do it for show because that really mitigates the good. Not that, that God won't use the money that's given all that. But if you're like, look at me, look at what I've done. And you make it more about you. That was kind of what was going on in the Roman culture. 
And, and so it's kind of contrary, because this still continues today, for us to think about doing things, you know, not having to do something to get something from God. Okay? He does call us to live a good life, and he does call us to do these wonderful things and to give and be generous and, and to pray and, and, and that. But that is not why he sent Jesus Christ. We still live in a world driven by performance and comparison. And, and God's grace stands as a truth that is kind of counter to this culture. It reminds us that we can never fully earn or deserve the love and forgiveness that God offers. Whether we're called to humbly accept this gift. You know, God, I know I don't deserve it, but thank you for it. We recognize that our salvation is rooted in God's unchanging love for us, not in what we've done or what we do. And from the very beginning, God's grace has been uh, at the heart of our salvation. It's a gift that's freely given, not earned. And, and we remember that something that we can't achieve on our own. Now, now, how does that make you feel? That this is another one of those things that's maybe a little out of your control. That there's no check-the-box checklist thing to, re, to do, a certain number of church services to attend, a certain number of dollars to give. How does it make you feel to know that none of that stuff is on itself is going to get you closer to God. It should bring some comfort. It should. Let's read why. Second Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's take this apart for just a second. God's saying, my, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, there's this gap between the goodness that we're called to do, the goodness we were created to be, and what we actually do. And the more that gap exists, the more grace covers it, the more powerful the work of God. And this is what he's saying. I'm going to boast about this. Look at how bad of a person I've been. And God loves me. Seems like a strange thing to boast about. So maybe that's not the word we should use, but the confidence you get saying, you know what? I really blew it, but look how powerful God's love and forgiveness is in my life. And the, the idea of grace, it extends beyond your initial salvation. It wasn't a once and done. I, Lord, I forgive you. I accept you as, as my Lord and Savior. Boom, grace kicks in and you're good. You know, if we were to never have sinned again, that probably would have worked great. But guess what happened? And what happens? How far would that have gone for us if that was the way it was? But in moments of vulnerability and weakness, we often question our ability to, to overcome challenges, whether it's a physical challenge or, or a spiritual challenge. And the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, he shares the profound truth of God's grace. He recounts how in his own personal struggles, he received the revelation that God's grace is sufficient to sustain us, even, or I'd say particularly, in these weakest moments. Grace for each and every moment. And Paul's words remind us that it's not about our own strength or capabilities. It's about surrendering to God's grace and allowing his power to, to manifest in our lives. Our weaknesses become the opportunities that God uses to fill with grace. It's in these moments that we truly experience the depth of God's love. And we certainly appreciate it. And it's sustaining grace. And hopefully we appreciate that as well. And when we lean on his strength, we discover that his grace is really a spring, a wellspring that empowers us 
and carry us through every single trial. And it's not only a gift for our salvation, but a source of strength in our weaknesses, Paul's words implied. In times of trial and challenge, when we feel insufficient or incapable or even unworthy, God's grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. It is in our weakness that his power shines the brightest. And his grace sustains us through even the most difficult. And it fills that gap. For myself, I find myself looking in the rearview mirror of life sometimes. And, and that's not best, the best way to drive forward, is it? Is it not even trying to back up our driveway, is it, dear? <laughs> it's not. It's not, it's not the best way to, to run things. And I, and I really caught myself last week getting frustrated as I had the wrong song in the book and played the wrong note. And then I, and, and, and every next step, I couldn't get to the next part of the service because I was so hung up on that. And even in my attempt at levity to, to do a reset, I didn't do the one thing God called me to do. Stop. Just stop and get your feet under you and say, God, give me grace for the moment. Let's do this. This is too important to get hung up on what happened a second ago and too important not to continue with what we need to be doing. And I beat myself up for that a little bit last week. I did. I did. And regret and overthinking and getting tangled in in the moments of the past is just as risky to living um, an abundant life. It truly can take away from the goodness of the moment because we're caught in those other moments that God has already given us grace for. And Jesus teaches us the importance of living in the present moment, trusting in God's provision every day. Our worries about the future can rob us of the joy and grace available to us here and now. And when we fixate on this, we miss the opportunity to experience the grace now because we're too worried to see what he's doing now. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. This is the moment the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is a gift filled with his grace, every moment. And when we approach each moment with gratitude and a heart ready to receive his blessing, almost expecting it, we position ourselves to fully experience that grace. We embrace the present moment with a heart of joy, even if the moment is not a good or pleasant one. And we have thanksgiving, and this allows us to tap into that grace that's uniquely available. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, have you ever thought of grace in the aspect of these gifts he gives us? I mean, God has not only given us his grace, but he's also equipped, or I would say entrusted us with unique gifts and talents. These gifts are expressions of his grace in our lives, and we're called to use them to serve others. Our personal grace is not just for our benefit. It is meant to be shared with the world to make it a better place. Ephesians 4, 7, Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're all recipients of grace, and this grace is distributed us according to God's design. It's a deliberate provision and not a random scattering of, of talent and grace and love. You've been granted a specific measure of grace that aligns with your individual purpose and calling. Recognizing and embracing your personal grace empowers you to live out your unique destiny, his unique plan for your life. Remember, God loves us equally, but not identically. He equips us equally, but not identically. 
accepting the divine invitation to step into your calling and contribute your gifts to the world allows you to join in and what we'll call a symphony of God's grace, right? Where there's this beautiful harmony of not everybody playing the same note, but in, in harmony as our lives align with his divine plan. And of course, grace manifests itself in the way of forgiveness. We so often attribute grace and forgiveness to, to be synonymous. And central to the concept of grace is the act of extending grace and forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is, is, in the context of grace is, is not a sign of weakness, but a demonstration of strength. Isn't it God's great strength that shows us... Back one. Isn't it God's great strength that shows us um, that he can love us despite what we've done, how we treat him? Likewise, isn't it a great strength of character to love and forgive someone? It takes humility to let go of grievances and to extend grace even when it's not deserved by our definition, right? Deserved. And when we choose to offer forgiveness, we mirror God's love and his willingness to forgive us despite our shortcomings. We're told to bear with each other and forgive one another. And, and remember that, that line from Matthew 18, 21, where Peter came up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Right? We know this. As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus' answer is not a literal one. We don't get to 78 and go, tough. I, I mean, 77 does seem like an exorbitant amount. And, and certainly that is the test of one's grace and patience. Are we there yet, dear? Not quite. <laughs> 77. But this number seven, it's one of those numbers, of a scriptural number that is both complete and perfect. It doesn't necessarily literally mean seven. Sometimes it means a perfect full. And you'll hear the number seven used often in scripture. But he's taking this perfect number. Shall I forgive him seven times? Every time he asks, he goes, not just that, but exponentially more. He's emphasizing the limitless nature of God's grace in our relationships. Forgiveness is not to be limited by a specific number of times. Rather, it is to be extended endlessly, just as it is towards us. Just as God's grace is no bounds, so too should our willingness to offer grace to others and ourselves. Remember, grace in the moment to forgive ourselves. And this helps us to move beyond our past experiences, removing regrets so that we may find joy in the present instead of reliving or overthinking the past. Remember, it's Jesus' own instructions. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Jesus is addressing our human tendency to worry about the future. He encourages us to not be consumed by regarding what tomorrow may bring, but we're to focus on the present moment, what we can do, what we should be doing now, here and now, recognizing that there are enough to handle without adding unnecessary worry about the unknown. His grace is enough. And we live in this fast-paced world of uncertainties. It's easy to become overwhelmed by the weight of what lies ahead. Yet again, Jesus reminds us that our energy is best invested in the here and now, God's perfect timing for this moment. Let's take another look at the scripture we began with. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon you, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The journey of finding grace for the moment is a deeply transformative one. So much that Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. 
It involves understanding the unearned nature of God's grace, both for our salvation and for our daily sustenance. It requires us to embrace the present with gratitude and an open heart, allowing, other, allowing our, ourselves to be enveloped in the grace that God has prepared for us today. Max Lucado has a quote, Christian author Max Lucado and, and, and pastor, and it says, go on, more. Other way. It's okay. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. Kind of think about that. Grace is the voice that calls us to change, right? God's grace. He calls us to change, but then it gives us the power to make that change. When you find yourself struggling to find grace in the moment, I want you to I want to encourage you to do a few things. Dive into the Bible. Dive into God's word. Learn about the stories, the teaching examples of grace. And remind yourselves of these truths. Embrace your imperfection. Right? I'm flawed. Recognize you're not perfect. Then you make mistakes. Allow yourself to accept your imperfections and shortcomings just as God does. Instead of dwelling on your mistakes, focus on God's grace and his ability to work through your weaknesses. Seek his forgiveness. Practice self-compassion. So that's practice self-forgiveness. And reflect on your identity in Christ. That is who you are. Engage with a supportive community, which I hope you find here among friends in the church and also the other people in your life, including family. And then pray for guidance. Regularly ask God for guidance and wisdom and understanding his grace more deeply and applying that grace to your life, both for yourself and for others. Remember that growing in an understanding and applying God's grace is a journey. It takes time, it takes patience, and, and a willingness to surrender to his transforming work in our lives. There's a lot of life experience in this room, and I, I dare say that none of us have quite figured out how to, to fully live in this moment and fully accept God's grace for what it is. And as we embrace his grace, we'll find greater freedom and peace and a renewed sense of purpose. That's a part of his promise. And as we recognize and embrace our, our personal grace, we can become more empowered to fulfill our unique role and calling and contribute to the world and the ministry in, in meaningful ways. And this is a personal testimony to God's diverse character and his intentionality in creating each one of us. And extending grace to others is the culmination of this journey. I get it. I've accepted what grace means from God to me, and I can show that to you. It's a reflection of our understanding of God's unconditional love and his forgiveness. And just as we've received grace beyond measure, so too are we called to bestow it upon those we encounter. And I want to revisit as we close the uh, part of Paul's original message. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. And if we were to look at 10b from the earlier message from Corinthians, it says, no, it says, I wasn't an apostle. I shouldn't be included. He says, I worked harder than all of them. And yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Even as he came to full terms of this, he understood that despite all the work he put in, he said, I put a lot of work in. A lot of good was done through Paul. We know that. 17 of the, of the books of the New Testament were written by Paul or attributed to, to Paul in his letters. 
He says, I worked hard on all them, but the grace of God that was with me, that's what matters. The, the message paraphrase says, but because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am, Paul the Apostle. And I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, life is challenging. And dare I say, sometimes you challenge us. You want to grow us. You want to encourage us. You want us to rely more and more on you and our faith in you. We thank you for the gift of grace. Help us to remember that that's truly what it is, a gift. Not to the point of of taking it for granted, but to recognize that that although we have a part in ministry in this world that we are certainly called to do, that is not why you love us. That is not why you forgive us. That is not why you call us your own. Heavenly Father, let us never let up on the work of the, of the scripture. The, the disciple, the, the apostolic work of sharing the good news, of leading others into a relationship with you and your son, Jesus Christ, so that they too may find joy and confidence that we find. Help us to remember that. And let us too recognize it's not our own work, but this work is important. So that we can say, as is paraphrase, because you are so gracious, so very, very generous, here we are. And we're not to allow, we're not about to let this go to waste. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us and through us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.